Welcome to The Vow, Voice of Women. Our mission has always been about empowering women through the sharing of real-life stories. When women create a community through the journey of sharing, we gain empathy, forgiveness, and perspective. We encourage you to open your heart to receive today's story. Ashley, welcome. Thank you. The vow is uh, has really kind of moved into, uh, I'd say, morphed into something new. And my passion has really become more human interest pieces. We have uh, um, taped so many amazing entrepreneurs and powerful women, and I I love that. And I realize there are so many triumphant stories out there, women who have gone through horrible circumstances, um, obstacles that, you know, when you hear their stories, you're like, wow, I don't know if I could get through that. And Ashley, your story, I, I read it and I cried and I read it again and I cried. And I'm so honored that you are here today and that you have this beautiful ability to be so vulnerable. And Ashley is an author, recipe creator, and fitness enthusiast with a master's degree in nutrition. After being awarded a tennis scholarship in her late teens, she moved from Kelowna to the United States to start her post-secondary studies. For over a decade, she worked as a nutritionist in the U.S. and Canada, offering individualized guidance and meal prep services. However, the last 15 years of Ashley's life took her on an incredible journey filled with darkness and shame. She neglected her own needs and suffered through PTSD, trauma, a hurtful relationship in silence, the hardships, fatigue, pain, and feeling like a societal misfit finally made sense when she discovered she was an empath. Ashley is now breaking her silence, hoping to bring awareness and comfort to those in need. Ashley, welcome. (laughs) Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here. So Ashley, what are some scenarios in your upbringing that led you to feel like you are extremely empathic? Yeah, so my childhood was confusing and challenging, and I felt very misunderstood from a young age. So I started to notice this pattern of the more people I was around, the harder that things were. And looking back, this was due to this automatic sense of feeling other people's emotions and heartaches without realizing these feelings that I was experiencing weren't even mine. For example, a classmate's parents getting divorced, a friend's grandma dying, peers being being influenced by bullying or humiliation. And although I wasn't the victim and it wasn't my stuff, I felt so much for them and their pain. And it felt like I was that person going through these hardships. So it was just like this overall awareness of what was going on with everyone that surrounded me. And it's like I automatically suffered when anyone else was suffering. But on the positive side, I would also feel that joy when others were content and happy. So I would strive to provide this comfort and support to those around me. But observing those hardships like bullying or um, sadness that other people felt like that really took its toll on me. And it would often make me feel physically ill, lethargic, sad. And I would shed these tears behind closed doors just because I felt so horrible for these people. And That made school very challenging for me. And I was constantly distracted by this noise of of everything going on. And it meant I struggled in the classroom and I often would 
you know, fake that I was doing well in class, but I would take all my schoolwork home. And once my door was shut in my room, I would try to teach myself everything again, because those emotions were so distracting. And my escape at that time was I would go into my bedroom, I'd play music, lay on my bed, and I'd close my eyes and pretend that I was somewhere else and someone else. And then I'd have to force myself to get back to this reality, work on my homework. And uh, looking back now, like this creativity was my escape. And that imagination Mm -hmm. that I have was a way to um, cope with those feelings. So overall, it was just that feeling of being misunderstood and defective. And I was isolated in those, those thoughts, but I did my best to adapt to society. I kept my thoughts and my feelings to myself. I did the best I could to blend in, get decent grades, keep good friends. And I supported those underdogs and lent out a helping hand to anyone that I could. Now we hear the word empath and I've even used that before. I say, you know, if I would explain or describe myself, I have a lot of empathy for people. So when I first, you know, read your, you know, your biography that you emailed me, you know, at the beginning I was like, well, I'm empath, you know, I'm an empath. And then I read your email and I'm like, no, no, I show empathy to people, but I am not an empath. So please share with our listeners what it is to be an empath. What is it like? And what are the positives and negatives? Yes, exactly. So I like using this analogy with the shoes. So as an empath, it's like you automatically wear the shoes of everyone else and feel the same emotions as that person does typically with an equal degree of intensity. So if there's a tragedy or an embarrassment, for example, empaths feel that in their own body as if they were that person. And um, you can often like walk into a room and sense the needs of others and understand what they want or desire without them telling you. And you can spot the underdogs, the personality types, genuine people or sometimes narcissistic people. So that saying of put yourself in someone else's shoes is a way that society attempts to teach people empathy, but it just because you're able to do that when you're prompted to, it doesn't mean you're an empath, but a true empath, that's an automatic response. And not a lot of us do exist in the world. I believe it's about 5% or less that truly have these experiences that cause these physical and emotional, um, like things that happen to you. And, um, Anyway, so that's in short what it feels like, but I would say that the negatives and positives, I'll address a few of those. The negatives are that you have a hard time detaching from someone who's in need and you're drawn to those like narcissistic and broken winged birds, if you will, like you just want to help (laughs) everybody (laughs) and um, you have a hard time saying no to people. That's like a really big struggle. You're easily startled. It's difficult to receive gifts and compliments. You're easily manipulated by others. So you can see the good in everyone, despite what they do to you or any harm that they cause. Um, you tend to accept responsibility or take blame for something that's not your fault. There's a lot of mood swings that feel like you just don't understand why you're angry or upset sometimes. And it's often nothing to do with you, but it's the emotional fatigue that you're experiencing from other people that you've been around, um, other things that are triggering sometimes like historical sites or museums can be triggering because you have this flood of emotion about who was there before you and you, you, you embrace all of that and you feel all of that. So it's difficult to relax in social scenarios often, um, with other people around you. 
it's easy to get distracted, especially if you're trying to get something done in an office or a coffee shop, like everybody around you, you just get sucked into those emotions and it's just very difficult. So um, physically too, like sometimes you are more sensitive. I know I am like to uncomfortable clothing, clothing tags, like that's a sign that um, maybe you are experiencing some of these things that an empath does. But there's also that like physical illness, extreme fatigue, muscle tension, vivid nightmares, and just overall feeling like a misfit in society. And that's basically what you you do feel like you don't know who you are, what you are, and why you're experiencing these things. But what you are aware of is the suffering that goes on in the world. And because of this, you tend to be this fixer and you always want to find ways to make the lives of others better. But on the positive side, there's a few things like you <laughs> I'm do. I'm like, there are there positive? <laughs> you got to end on a positive note, right? Yeah. So the positives are you, you do need to, um, you have a deep need to make the world a better place and you genuinely want to help people and you're basically like a born to be healer. You can sense and provide effective treatment to individuals, but you can also, when one cool thing is you're like a human lie detector. So you can easily tell when someone is lying and, um, it's just that you're just aware, way more aware of what's going on and what's going on with people. And you get these strong impressions of people that usually end up being spot on. Um, and just that intuition, I mean, that comes in handy. You're often a critical thinker, hyper aware of the things that are around you and empaths are just givers. Like they love to give gifts, show appreciation. They're good listeners and they love animals and children and they like to evolve and want to grow and heal. And they tend to also have like this deep appreciation for water, plants, nature. But lastly, it's just like having that ability to make a strong impact on someone else's life with minimal effort and time. Like you can tell who needs attention, who might need reassurance or who just might need to be heard. Like a simple, hi, how are you to a stranger can go a long way. And I know Tanya, you experienced that the other day at Shoppers Drug Mart, right? Like you were just in there doing something, you happen to give her the floor and just engage in that conversation. And I'm sure that that just meant the world to this stranger to you. And it was just a few minutes out of your day. So that's often those things like we were able to detect who needs that attention and it doesn't take long and it can actually make a pretty significant impact. So it, it can be a really good thing. Mm-hmm. I, I read that um, scientists are now saying that empathy is not just something that we develop through our upbringing and life experiences. It's also partially inherited. So is mm-hmm. that, does that mean it's like it's partially genetic? I do believe this because my parents are both, they, I don't think they're full-blown empaths, but they're, they were extremely empathic throughout my upbringing. And in a way that that was, it's nice, but it, probably didn't help my scenario because I mirrored a lot of what they did too. And I thought, okay, well, they, they are doing all these things for other people and they're very um, empathic towards them. So it, it, in a sense made me feel like I should also do those things, but I, I was on another level and they didn't even know how bad that was for me, but, and I didn't know, right. Like it was just, it was very confusing, but yeah, I do think genetics have a lot to do with it. And as a parent, they they probably were so lost because they didn't know and they didn't know how to help you. They just saw that you were suffering. They did. Yeah. yeah. And I, um, I, I did talk about too, about how when things felt differently for me. And I do remember there was these bouts of like physical illness when I was a, a child and 
my parents knew about some of it, but I didn't let on everything that was going on. Like I would often come home when there was an event or a gathering or just something that happened at school. And when I was trying to get to sleep at night, I would just start to shake, like shake uncontrollably. And I get so worked up and worried. And then all of a sudden that would turn into like physical illness. Like I would get sick to my stomach and the odd time I would go in and ask like, Hey, like I would, I'd ask for their comfort and they would definitely give it to me. But I spent a lot of nights just sitting there shaking and feeling so out of place and not understanding myself. Like it wasn't the flu. It wasn't any sort of illness. It was just Mm -hmm. physically, I was so worked up all the time. Well, and that kind of leads me into, you know, my next question, because you are a victim of sexual abuse and emotional manipulation. And why did leaving or seeking, you know, to get help make you feel selfish? Uh, Like, yeah, so I would say in the the first few months of the relationship, I would always feel like over the moon and I get really connected to this person because they felt they made me feel like I was needed. And and as an empath, you want to feel needed and you want to feel like you're of value and you can help and fix things. But then things would start to decline and the red flags would start to appear and they would give me these like glimpses of appreciation and make me feel so worthy when they'd fill my cup, maybe 25 to 50%, but that was enough to fuel me and keep me going. And then I would start to get involved with the family and the friendships that this person would have in their circle. And it was almost like as soon as I was in with them and the family, like I felt like I was carrying all this weight of everyone else and I got to know them and I felt their emotions and their needs. And it was, you know, an an analogy, I guess, that I could use. It's like, it's like I was the driver of this bus and then there was my partner on the bus and then all of a sudden his whole family and nieces and nephews and everyone else and friends are on this bus. And now I'm just like, I'm responsible if I leave now, I'm going to disappoint all these people because I ended up being that, you know, almost like the social worker, worker in situations where I was the helping hand, like the babysitter, the family nutritionist, the person you call on in an emergency. And I allowed myself to be that person. I offered those things. So ending the relationships wasn't just about giving up this this guy that I was with. It was everything that he came with and all of the family. And I I had a really hard time with that. I was just felt very guilty. So like often people stay in toxic relationships because they feel stuck or there's like young children or financial issues, insecurities, or it's like this fear of being alone. But for me, it was none of that. It was literally just that fear of causing pain and disruption to, to so many lives. And in the instance of that one instance of sexual abuse, I reported it. And I found out that this stranger who had done this was a single dad. And when I asked if I when, when I was asked if I wanted to pursue charges, I decided not to. And instead I told myself that I was to blame and I just carried on. Like I didn't want to disrupt his life and ruin his relationship with his daughter. Like it was just, that's how my mindset was though no. at the time. Like I did not want to cause harm and I would take the, you know, I would take the hit if I could just to make sure everyone else was okay. Yeah. So this, like, it's so interesting because I've talked to other victims in the past and they say the same thing. They feel guilty. They feel selfish for reporting abuse because they don't want to have an impact on that other person's life. And they think they can just brush it under the carpet. And um, Mm -hmm. last week I had a girlfriend that experienced sexual abuse and she went home. She talked to her husband, her sister walks in the door and sees how emotional it is. She calls the police right away 
and, you know, the police come over and, uh, you know, she, she even said the same thing to me, but she said at the end of the day, she knew she had to do it, not just for herself, but for all of the other women out there that he could have touched. And, but it's so interesting as women that we feel, you know, as well, even as men, men that have been sexually abused are also victimized. And there's so much shame around that as well. Um, and this feeling of like, we don't want to ruin someone else's life, but we're going to suffer in our own pain. Yeah, exactly. And you start to tell yourself these stories that you, maybe you should have done something differently or it was your fault, right? Like we do that to ourselves and, um, it is sad, like both men and women experience this and it's, it is heartbreaking. And I, you know, if I could go back in time, I would do things differently, but in the state that I was in at that time, that was what felt right to me. Sadly. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the U.S. You have a history with the U.S. and you currently have Mm -hmm. a lifetime ban from entering the U.S. for no reasons. Now, I know our listeners are going to be like, what the heck? And I was like, what (laughs) the heck? I still can't even believe that, that, that this is the case. So walk our listeners through why this beautiful soul that wants to help others has a lifetime ban. Uh, yeah. Uh, and this is still like, it's still hard to talk about after all these years because it's so messed up what had happened. But um, yeah, I re I relocated to the United States as you know, you talked about in the intro, I had a tennis scholarship. And after those four years of I, when I earned my bachelor's degree, I had the opportunity to apply for a work visa and stay in the United States. And I had already built up my life there. I had friends and I just felt like that was where I wanted to be. So I started to work at a couple of different weight loss and nutrition clinics in Texas. And then my last move was to Austin, Texas, where I was with a very serious boyfriend at the time. And he was going to help support me to start fresh there and start my own business and have my own office. And he had offered to support this dream with a couple of other professionals that wanted to get on board. But because I was changing jobs, I had to um, go to the border and obtain and uh, apply for a new visa because that's the that was how things worked at the time. And that's the visa I was on. So I always would have to go to the port of entry. I had done this two other times. I had no issues with it. Um, and so I decided I didn't want to inconvenience my partner or anyone else. So I chose to transport myself. I was 25 at the time and I went to the U.S. land border in B.C., and then I presented, went to present them with my application and documents. And when I arrived in my rental car and I got called up to the desk, everything just felt like something was wrong. Something just felt weird. And I brought my paperwork along and I went, you know, I said, here is what I'm trying to do. Da, 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 da. And there was about a dozen of these men behind the counter and all of their eyes are on me. And it just, they just looked at me weird. It was, it was off. Um, so it should have been like this simple 10 minute application process turned into a terrorizing overnight interrogation. Like I was so helpless and I let them control me while doing everything I could to stay strong and keep my composure. Like they searched me, humiliated me, made offensive comments, ripped my belongings apart, took my phone, discovered personal photos and passed them around and laughed amongst one another about the things that they found. I had been like mistreated in the past, but this time it was like nothing I could have ever imagined that I would face in my lifetime. And the only like offense under my belt was like a traffic violation. I just couldn't believe that I was being treated this way. And um, when there was no trace of drugs or crime, they started to question my intentions of applying for a new work visa. 
And after their relentless digging and overstuffing, they started to accuse me of trying to obtain visa status in the U.S. without having any intentions of working at all. And at this point, this false accusation made me, made me like very emotional. And I started to like lose my composure. And I just bawled my eyes. I was like, I can't believe this is even happening. Like, why are we here? And, and so then they gave us, they gave me two choices. They're like, either sign this paper agreeing to a five-year ban from the U.S. or we're going to ship you to a mental institution. And when I pleaded for them to release me without either, they slammed this massive chain in front of me on the counter and stated that they're going to wrap it around me, drag me into the back and put me against a wall and essentially do whatever they wanted to do. Um, so they were in charge and I was completely powerless, especially in that moment. The stress, lack of rest, like no nourishment combined with this manipulative interrogation, it just ended up getting the best of me. And I was broken in that in that moment and this good cop of the bunch like pulled me aside and said um if you want to avoid any other further distress from these monsters then I suggest you do what you're told and sign this paper and he's like chances are you're going to be able to appeal it in a couple of weeks and you'll be back in the United States so I believed him I signed the papers and eventually I was released and I was able to go back to Canada but that my world like turned completely upside down and I was now living in my childhood bedroom under my parents' roof. And I went from trying to thrive and improve myself and my career to being like knocked flat on my ass, like hating myself and feeling so ashamed, punishing myself for not doing things differently in that application process. And um, I left my entire life behind, like my belongings, relationships. And now I felt like I had taken like a million steps backwards. So that devastation I felt combined with the sadness of my family and friends was torturous. And with my empathetic nature, it was extra challenging because I was now that in that victim hot seat and having people try to fix me and show me sympathy. And that just felt catastrophic. So um, shortly after that, I learned there was no way to appeal this, this um, decision. And I was lied to in that, in that situation. So that set things back for me, um, tried to get legal help, tried to see what we could do to get justice. And all the lawyers told us like, it's, there's, no surveillance of what happened. It's their word against yours. And it, I just kept running into like a brick wall, a brick wall. And in the state that I was in, I didn't want to fight that much at the time. Like I just had nothing left in me. And I felt so just, it was just brutal. It was absolutely brutal. And then, you know, burdening others with my problems and having my parents, you know, look after me, it was just like, all of this was taking its toll on me. But Eventually I did start over and I relocated to Alberta and where I am today. And, um, but I just did like everything I could to fly under the radar and not burden anyone with the situation. I didn't talk about it. Like barely anyone actually knows that this had happened because it just, it's something that was just so hard to talk about. And mm -hmm. eventually I, um, after that five year sentence had passed, I grew the courage to face this traumatizing issue and start to, I started to like visualize, okay, I can go back to the States now. I can travel. I can go see my parents who live there half, half of the year. And, and I got the courage. I went down to this, the land border um, closest to where we are here. And that turned out to be um, another nightmare. So I went in there and the officer pulled me aside and asked me about the situation. And then he just started to explain to me, like, he's like, I am so sorry that this happened. I don't know why they targeted you. Um, but 
unfortunately, he said, like, you, your ban isn't for five years. It's actually a lifetime. That's what they documented on the papers that you signed. And they, so they had lied to me about pretty much everything, forced me into signing papers and agreeing to a lifelong ban. And now with this lifetime ban, it's way harder to fight or reverse it. Like, it's a very difficult process to um, complete. And so... Yeah, for the basically the last 11 years, I've had to accept this sentence. And it's been very difficult, to say the least, like the obstacles I've had to face because of this issue, such as like never being able to go on trips, of course, avoiding flights that have layovers, like it's a lot. And to conclude the story, like where I'm at today, my um, husband has helped me get the courage to actually fight this and start the process of hiring an experienced immigration lawyer. And he seems very motivated to try and help and try to get things back to where they need to be. But at this point, you know, I just would like to travel and have that freedom and not have this over my head, but I don't have any intentions of moving back right now. I just want to have that freedom back. So yeah, your freedom in a nutshell, that is the story. <laughs> yeah. Freedom's been stripped from you. And I'm, when I'm listening to this and I'm thinking it almost like, it almost sounds like, like a human rights lawyer, like your human rights were yeah. stripped from you in that room. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. when I think, and I'm, I definitely don't know a lot about immigration or, or, you know, immigration law, but a lifetime ban seems like something you would have access to a lawyer for before you would, you know, before they could force you to sign anything. I, I picture it like if you're in trouble with the police and you're in the back office and they're like, you know, you have the right to a lawyer, like that's a fairly major thing to have a bunch of men gang up on you and sign for no reason. Like, I'd have to think you can mm-hmm. take that. Yeah. And I, you know, the other part of the story too, is that the guy who was in charge of my case at the border, when this all happened, like he he was, this was his first night on the job. And I'm, I figured that out pretty quickly. So the guys in that room were like training him in a sense to be this tough and uh, mighty guy. And, and I don't, I don't know to this day, I don't know if, did he make a mistake or was he just so he, and he got so much of a thrill out of this. Like you could tell he Mm. loved doing this to me. And the smirks on his face and the comments that he would make, like he was the worst one. But I don't know now, did he make a mistake and put the wrong code in where I signed or did he do it on purpose? And I'll never know that. I don't know. But yeah, it was um, outrageous, outrageous what had happened there. Well, I'm so sorry that's you know, People traffic drugs and, yeah, yeah, and they don't, don't have that experience. Band. And I... Yeah, when yeah. your autonomy was stripped from you and for anybody... And I love to travel, so I can't imagine the burden mm-hmm. that's put on your life and your husband's life. And I just wish you all the best in that that journey to get that back and get, you know, get that part of your life back. Now, when you yeah. seeked professional assistance, um, how would you describe your emotions when you discovered that you were an empath? Mm, yeah, very skeptical at first. I was just like, yeah, okay. Because at that point, I'd felt so defeated and I'd gone through all of my 20s I trying to get to the bottom of what was going on with me because I did know something was wrong and I tried every mental health you know, group or session I could get my hands on and I was just doing all the things, going to the doctors and getting scans and just trying to figure it out. So at that point, I was just kind of done, but I had also taken a couple, couple of years away from trying to get this all these professional answers that didn't lead to anywhere. And I just thought, okay, I'm just going to see another person. And I had a recommendation to go see this psychologist and she had 
more of like an intuitive approach. And I thought, okay, I'll give that a try. And then I got into the room and she started just asking me some questions and then more and more questions. And she's like, and then all of a sudden she's like, Hey, like, Ashley, like you're an empath, you know that. Right. And I said, what? No, like, <laughs> what do you mean? And, <laughs> and you know, immediately I'm like, okay, like, you know, this is one of the 20 things I've been labeled the past several <laughs> years. Like what, what is this going to mean? Right. But then I was like, I, and I am a big researcher. So I went home and I started to do my research. I started to like, look into these quizzes that she had given me and, and resources. And I was just like, Oh, wow. Okay. So this is, this is real. And it was like, I had this optimistic spark again, that aha moment that something was actually aligning with me. And, um, there's something just to be said about putting a name to something or flat out having just the tools that work to get you forward. And when I started to implement these things, I, I would see results. So not only was I like discovering myself, I now knew strategies to help me move my life forward. And that was a really relieving time for me. I can't imagine. It's like somebody who goes one, two, three, four years to find out that they they're finally diagnosed with a disease. And it's like a blessing and a curse because it's a curse to have the disease, but it's a blessing that you know how to treat it. And I'm, I'm assuming that was something similar to you. Yes, very similar. And yeah. I mean, I had medical diagnosis, diagnosis and they were not what was wrong with me. But I think doctors were just like, oh, here, you have fibromyalgia or here, you have an autoimmune condition, right? Like they didn't know what to do mm -hmm. with me. So this was, yeah, it was so helpful. And then not only that, but just seeing how slowly as I'd implement these strategies, I would get better and I would start to just feel a little bit more free in my life. And it was, it was great. It was freeing. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so like, okay, so you're diagnosed, we'll, we'll call it as an empath. Like, <laughs> what, what do you do with that? Like, what have you implemented in your life to help bring you out of that? You know, I call it horrible because I can't imagine feeling the pain and agony and stress of everybody around you. So how do you, how do you monitor that? How do you get yourself through that now? Yeah, it's, it's a lot. I, I would say, um, I've learned different tools and, and overall, like I almost call it like exposure therapy. Like I slowly start to challenge myself with different things and see, Oh, can I get through this? Or can I, like, can I say no to somebody and will I survive? Can I tone down the gift giving? And will that be, you know, will I be able to wake up tomorrow morning? <laughs> right? Like mm -hmm. it's those types of things. You just slowly start to, um, evaluate your life and where your energy is going. And I realized my output was a lot of it was toward everyone else. And I was not on that list at all. So every time I challenge myself to do something different or combat this, it's like, you're like peeling that layer back like an onion in a sense, right? Like mm -hmm. you just, um, like letting things or people be who don't serve me. That's a big one. And that's a hard one, but it, it's something I had to do and setting limits with the care that I give to others. And, saying no to an event or a trip that doesn't feel good. And I know will drain me. Like mm -hmm. there's being aware of what does drain me now and what does cause these physical, emotional symptoms. I'm getting much better, but I, I know what triggers me and I just have to learn how to navigate that. And that might mean going somewhere and making sure I take my own car so I can leave early if I need to, or going on a trip with a group and making sure I have my own room and just having that time to, decompress mm -hmm. but um also 
you know, negative comments, things like that. Those are always a challenge, but telling myself like return to sender, return to sender over and over <laughs> again, that's, that is helpful sometimes, but um, a lot of these things, like it just takes time and I'm not going to sit yeah. here and say this is like, has been a Disneyland experience by any means. No, but it's been, um, it's something that you do have to put the work in because I spent 30, you know, a little bit more over 30 years of my life not knowing what was wrong, I have to undo all those patterns. So Mm -hmm. yeah, overall, that's helpful. And just having a good support system and good, you know, friendships. And my husband, for example, like he's a wonderful tool. He's certainly not an empath, but he's, he offers this different perspective on things and support. And we communicate a lot about what I'm going through. And he's now learned more about me. And that's important to me because I'm not so isolated anymore and how I'm feeling. So mm-hmm. I also get him to be like my little news filter um, because the news is quite triggering for me. I, I can't sit ask you about that, some... especially with everything yeah. going on today. Like, I mean, I even try to limit myself and it bothers me. Like you, do you, you, do you even watch any news? <laughs> no, not anymore. And I, like for a while, for years, I felt like I had to, I was like, Oh, did you watch the news? Like, well, I guess I have to now. <laughs> but now at this point, I, I'm just like, mm-mm. I don't do it. And I use him to give me like the highlights. Like if there's yes. something going on or like something's blowing up somewhere, yes, I need yeah. to know that. But, um, but overall, no, I don't get wrapped up in it. And, and, you know, it was even the other night, actually, I'm sitting there trying to go to bed and he's watching stuff about the war. And, and I, all of a sudden I could just feel my body's like tensing up. My heart starts to race and I'm, and I was just like, holy crap. Like I said, can you turn that off? <laughs> and, and he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. And he just forgot for a second, but it was, and that, that's that self-awareness too, right? Like being, paying attention to my body and the signs that it's giving me and to go to bed like that, that is not helpful. Like I have to make sure I end things on a positive note. And that's another thing is just making sure that you always go into your sleep or the evening with something light and positive, not distressing, not you know, some sad documentary about a person who's died or been tortured, like, no, that doesn't work. So you have to strategize with that and and just be mindful of the content that you watch and absorb throughout the day, especially in the evening, I would say. So note to all our empaths listening, don't watch violent news, watch Moana before you go to bed, because the chicken is really funny. Or Wild Babies. I've been watching that. Wild Baby Animals. Oh, Those yeah. Are, well, nice. I could yeah. totally get down with Wild Baby Animals. <laughs> yeah. So I have to ask you then. So when you first met your husband and, you you know, you go on one or two dates and you, you realize you like each other, is it like, hey, so I'm an empath and this is what you're signing up for? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, um, first of all, we got together in the most unconventional way imaginable. So we didn't really have dates, but... Um, he was a client of mine. Oh, I was going to say, oh, do tell unconventional. (laughs) (laughs) Um, okay. You have a minute. Yeah. So he, um, (laughs) yes, we have lots of minutes. I was (laughs) okay. Good. Um, so I actually was in a relationship with another guy and him and I were pretty long term. And this is one of the relationships that I shouldn't have probably ever been in, in the first place. But, um, and he ended up proposing to me, on uh, Vancouver Island when I was out there and I said yes and then this Ben who I'm with now he um had he was also on Vancouver Island that that day and planned this whole thing to tell me how he really felt about me because we had this relationship that went on for about six or seven years before he approached me and he was a client of mine so 
got engaged and I met, went to meet him the next day because that wasn't abnormal. Like he was in the same place I was, let's go have lunch. And so we did. And he told me in that moment, um, what he was feeling. And I told him in that moment that I had just got engaged. And, um, yeah, awkward. so that, yeah, so awkward. And it was, um, there's a lot more details to it, but, uh, needless to say, I, I didn't know what to do at the time. And of course, you, now you know what I am and who I'm about. Yes, yes. It was very hard to, um, to let the other one go because I was so worried about him his family and that whole relationship. But, um, I was very open with him. I said, are you sure that this is what you want? Because this is what I come with. This is who I am. And he's like, yes, yes, yes. I like, I think we'll be really good together. And, um, long story short, about three months later, I made the decision to end things with the guy that I was with and just started to try to get back to me and figure out what I wanted. And eventually Ben and I did get together and we, you know, we've, uh, we, we made it work and it was the best thing I could have ever done. And he's been amazing. Um, but it's, it was a long, that was a long, hard journey. And we just got married last year, actually. So congratulations. um, You're still newlyweds. And we are still newlyweds. Yes. So (laughs) it took me quite a while to get to the right guy, but I'm glad that I finally did. Yeah. He's been, yeah, he's been very good, very good for me and good for my well-being and mental health, all of that. So aside from Ben, what brings you Mm -hmm. fulfillment and calmness today? Mm, I think just um, seeing myself continue to progress and know that every time I do something that's hard or it feels selfish, an opportunity arises always. Uh, A new person comes into my life or just a ray of light some way, somehow. And that is so fulfilling to see that these changes can happen, that my life can improve with eliminating the toxicity basically and allowing the light to shine in. And that's pretty much what's happened. But I would also say like, for me, it is important to take sometimes little solo trips. Like I just go to the mountains for a couple of days, or I just do something by myself, engage in an activity that I can fully enjoy and be present with without bringing an entourage necessarily. Like Mm -hmm. I just enjoy those quiet moments and quiet moments in nature and uh, just decompressing. And that's really important. So focusing a lot on self-care, consistent exercise, I find that to be very helpful. It's great for my mind and puts me in a much calmer mental state. But um, over time, I've definitely grown more confidence and doing things that scare me, such as, you know, even doing what we're doing today. Like would I've done this five years ago? Absolutely not. There's no way. Like mm-hmm. I've had to slowly dip my toes into the water and see what I can accomplish and then continue to build on that. So yeah, once you realized you were an empath, then it's like you're kind of figuring out this whole new Ashley and getting comfortable in your mm-hmm. skin and being okay with that because it's not like you can just you know, say, okay, I don't want to be an empath today. <laughs> mm-hmm. I know. <laughs> wouldn't that be exactly. nice? And it wouldn't, uh, yeah, um, it is. And it's like learning just to use the things that you have, the traits and, and use them to their fullest potential. But the thing, the negative aspects that I listed earlier, like those can be controlled. You just have to be aware and mm-hmm. always have this awareness of what's going on with you. And I you know there are times where it's like, I know I can pick up on what's going on with me. Like, I'm like, oh, I'm sitting here and I'm numbing myself by watching a show or 
whatever. And sometimes that's necessary, but other times it's like, that's not a good thing to be doing because that means that I've been too overloaded and I haven't been using the strategies that I should Mm -hmm. be. So it's always awareness, awareness, awareness. And that's what really helps to get on with things and, and live with this and not let it burden me anymore. Mm-hmm. I'd imagine like you, you probably have had to shed people that were friends in your life because they weren't good for, you know, for where you are in your life. And once, especially once you found out that you were an empath, was that, have you had to do that? And was that difficult? Mm-hmm. I have, I've had to do that. Very difficult. And even yeah. certain family members I've had to do that too. And that's, really heartbreaking, but Mm -hmm. I did notice uh, some patterns and there's a bit of narcissism that goes on in the family. And I was sucked into that and dealing with just a load of toxicity. And this is also with certain friendships too. Like you end up attracting these people who they just continuously dump on you and dump on you and complain about their lives and the situation they're in. And three years later, it's the same situation. And you sit there and give them all this good advice and pour your heart and soul into trying to help, but they ultimately don't want the help. They just want to use you to, to vent and yeah. picking up on who those people are. And like I said, and before, when you do unload some of these, unfortunately like, people who aren't good assets to you, other amazing people come in. And I feel right now at this stage of my life, I have some amazing people that have stepped in and just they're great support. They're you know, everything I could ask for in terms of friendships and family even. And I, I'm happy with that. And it, but it's taken a while. Yes. And it's, it's hard. It's hard to do that. And and it's hard to do things that feel selfish because you're, you know, that naturally that's not what I am and I don't want to be that. But in order for me to thrive, this is what's necessary. I have to. Yeah. It's for your own mental health. And if you don't have your own Mm -hmm. health, you don't have anything you know, it's the, there's that old saying, like you are the average of the top five people you surround yourself with. I love that quote. And I think for you, yes. that's even more important because your health depends on it, your mental health, your physical health, your emotional health, how you show up for Ben, like that's probably just so important in your life. It is. Yeah, it absolutely is. And what would you say to listeners today who may not be empathic or be in a true empath, but who constantly find themselves in situations that these so-called energy vampires and narcissists put them through. Yeah. And I, I would say you really do need to do anything you can to adjust your tribe of people, your relationships, your environment or career. I know that's way easier said than done, but it's just paying attention to what, what is going on in your day and who is affecting your day and if it's something like a career where you can't change it and there's people there that are causing, you know, triggering you or bringing you down, maybe finding healthier outlets outside of that where other people can lift you up and level things out a little bit more. But if you're not willing to make changes and work toward being in a healthier environment or surrounding yourself with better people, you will likely stay stuck in those patterns. But it's also just being mindful of your career. If you're in a service role, like most empaths are setting those boundaries with coworkers or clients and whether you're an empath or not, that needs to happen. So if you notice like these repeat behaviors of people dumping on you with all their baggage, just being assertive and be like, I understand this might be difficult for you, but I'm here to help you better in my situation, your health and nutrition and guiding them back to the topic or shortening the sessions and then coming back to 
you know, what, what it needs to be about. But in terms of narcissism and relationships, just again, paying attention to their behavior when they want something from you, how does it change when you say no, if they lie or they cheat, are they blaming you? Mm -hmm. Do they own up to it and make changes? Do they appreciate you or are you disposable if you don't perform what's being asked? So keeping these things in mind, it's not just romantic relationships. This narcissistic behavior can be in your family network, your friend circle, awareness, paying attention, taking those baby steps to distance yourself. And it just is like those little changes. They do make a huge difference if you can somehow yeah. Not easy to change, but a necessity to change for no. a healthy, healthy life and having healthy relationships. Yes. Yeah. So let's chat about this book that you're writing, girl. Tell me about it. What's in it? What can we expect? And <laughs> when is it coming it? out? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's me. It's a collaborative project. So I'm, uh, it's, I'm an author and I have a chapter in a book that is coming out in November. It's called, um, what is it called now? I'm confused. That's okay. It's <laughs> the voice. Is it the voice of women? No, no, that's your, that's, your, that's the podcast you're on, but it should have a book too. <laughs> you're kidding me right now. This is a super embarrassing. Um, women rising. There we go. Women yes, rising. Women rising. It's all the, <laughs> <laughs> so women rising. Yes. Okay. I'm like voice of women. That's, that's okay. I love it. I love that. That was top of yeah. mind. Yes. <laughs> Anyway, um, the book, yes, Women Rising. So it is me and, and several other people. And we have these chapters and we're all talking about different things that we've all gone through and how we have risen from those tragedies. And everybody's story is a little bit different. You've heard little tidbits of mine, but it's I'll, reading the story will give you a little bit more in depth of how everything was for me as a child and growing up and everything like that. So this is the first time I have broken my silence about what's going on with me and what has gone on. First time I've talked about the border issue. The first time I've talked about being an empath. So this is a big year for me. Definitely. Um, This is like your year of coming out. I'm coming out. Yes. (laughs) And (laughs) so um, that is that's happening and it'll be out in November. Mid November is the plan. Uh, The cover's done. Everything's done. We're just going through the publishing, the final steps of the publishing. So that is, that is neat. And, um, and the, you know, realistically, the, what this is all about is me. I do genuinely want to help people. And if by writing this chapter and writing these words, if it can just reach one person and help them feel like they aren't alone with this, that is, that is all I need out of this whole experience. And as you know, as an empath, we do want to help people and we do want to help the world, but doing it this way, is nice because I can reach a lot more people and I don't have to be drained with the whole burdened, process of it. Yes. But yeah. Yeah. You get your but story think, out um, without being burdened with the emotions of even people reading your story. You can't feel that when you're not in their presence. So, um, exactly. Yeah. Yes. Well, and okay. So it's called <laughs> women rising and it's going to be yes. uh, published in uh, November. Will it be released in November and where can our listeners find it? Yes, it will be available to purchase on Amazon. And then there's going to be a pre-sale where people can download the ebook um, when it does come out. So there's they're doing a pre-sale with ebook and then there will be hard copies that come out. They're saying the end of November is the date. 
Um, on my personal like Instagram page, my business page, I will be posting when that does happen. And then I'll have a link to where people can purchase it from if they want to. Um, but yeah, that's awesome. And what it's is- less than a month away. Yay. And what is your, uh, for our listeners, how do they find you on Instagram, Ashley? It's just Ashley Pantry. So pantry is like the food pantry that we have in our house. Just Ashley Pantry, one word. Yeah. Well, and your recipes look amazing, by the way. I know that you're a recipe creator and I've, I've looked at a number of them and I I am going to try a couple of them. They look fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, that is my creative outlet. That's what I do to uh, just take a break from everything. And it's, uh, it's very fulfilling. So I'm glad you like them. I, so far, I love them. And I'll, I'll message you when I've tried one of them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, uh, as an empath, uh, while continuously on your self-discovery and healing journey, which I know you still are on, which I love because you're a student for life. What resources would you recommend to our listeners who really resonate deeply with your story? Yeah. So I do have some like professional resources and I can give you a couple personal tips as well, but there's an, uh, three authors. So Judith Orloff, she's, uh, she writes several books that are all related to being an empath and they're different topics. So I would say she's almost the queen in terms of how many books she's produced on this topic. Her website is great as well. Um, There's another lady, Anita Morjani, M-O-O-R-J-A-N-I. And she writes, she wrote a book called Sensitive is the New Strong. That's a great one. She also has a really unique quiz that you can take on her website. For anyone who's interested in finding out more about where maybe they stand on the scale of being an empath, there's a really good in-depth quiz that she has and other resources. And then... um, thehappysensitive.com. There's a lady named Caroline that used to be a teacher. She has loads of like programs, resources, articles, and trainings, and really just going on, you can go on Audible or Amazon and find a lot of books that might resonate with you. And like anything, not every single book is going to call to you or be the right one. I know I went through a few different things before I found what resonated with me, but if, you know, if you find something that's not great, don't give up, try something else. And there's lots of podcasts that you can listen to as well. But um, personally, I would say like setting a schedule with your routine, sleep schedule and making, like we said before, like ending your day on a positive note. And if you find that you're having like those night terrors and just vivid dreams that are distressing, sometimes like a sleep meditation is helpful for that. Just like listening to that as you go to sleep. I think exercise is important and just figuring out the time of the day that is your time to be productive without distractions. Like for me, that's getting up really early. I get up at like five o'clock, I get some things done and I just start my day without people bothering me. Um, Unplugging is probably one of the most important things you can do because right now we are consumed with everything to do with our phones, social media. And as an empath, like you feel like you need to show up for everybody all the time and that it's not just showing up for like a lunch with a friend, but you've got to oh, like all their posts and comment on their, their business stuff and everything. Right. And it just gets to be so much. So just drawing the line with that. And that's something I've done and I don't feel bad about it. Like I go and see my friends, but I don't necessarily go and submerge myself in all of their content all the time or yes. just people on social media. Like I can't do it. I can't do you it all. Drop in. Do it you all. drop in yeah. for a visit or an appy on social media and then you get out of there. 
you get out of there. Exactly. And just stay in your lane, right? Like I just, I stay in my zone. I, I, you know, interact with people who are in my niche and that's where I focus and I get out of there. So, um, yeah. And just when you're having that support system, a partner, a friend, someone you can talk to or relate to, just being able to say it out loud to somebody is very powerful. And mm-hmm. I would say like, communicate with your significant other if you know that you're feeling this, but also, um, my biggest, like where my heart feels the most in this, since learning about this is just knowing what I felt as a kid and how that was for me. Like I want parents to be more educated about this because then they can perhaps spot the signs with their little ones because there are, I've seen little kids and I'm like, you are, you're a little empath and you don't know it, but you're struggling. Right. And, and it's sad to me. And I, I, I do hope that just like we've started to bring more awareness to mental health, this needs to be part of that, I think. Mm-hmm. And just having that, knowing what to look for and helping these kids and, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean taking to them to a counselor or a psychologist, but it's like knowing what questions to ask and if they're being triggered by certain things or if they're getting drained by being around people. And it, um, like, like I said, being a kid was really hard for me and I didn't let it on, but it was tough. It was really tough. So I just hope that more people can get, can understand this earlier in their, in their youth rather than at this stage where I'm at, where it's like a little bit harder to reverse those things. But, um, well, that would be my suggestion. Thank you so much for being an advocate and, and coming out because I can't imagine how scary that was for you. Scare a fear of judgment, fear that, people won't believe you and say, oh, you know, being an empath isn't a thing. Like, you know, mm-hmm. it's, there's probably so much fear about sharing your journey with people, fear of judgment. And so I just think yeah. it's so admirable that you've come out and shared your whole journey. Like you, you know, mm-hmm. you're a victim of sexual abuse, emotional manipulation. You have a ban from the U.S. You're an empath. And like, those are not easy things to talk to, you know, PSD, PTSD, trauma. Those are like, that. those are big girl. And I'm, I'm just so um, honored that you are here today um, sharing your story. And we always like to end with the question, which is the foundation. It's called, you know, our podcast is called The Vow. And, and so what have you vowed to yourself in life? I, at this stage, I, I vow to stop hiding from the spotlight to help others in ways that are healthy for me, um, to continue fighting for myself, my dreams, and ultimately be the best version of myself. Mm, That's a great vow. And I, I wish you all the best in fulfilling that vow and continuing on your journey, Ashley. And again, thank you so much for being here today. And I can't wait for our listeners to hear your podcast. I know it's really going to inspire and empower and educate our listeners. So thank you. Thank you. And really grateful our paths crossed and I'm uh, honored to be here today. So thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to The Vow, Voice of Women. We hope that this episode has inspired you. If you want more information on The Vow, visit our website at voiceofwomen.ca. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps us spread the stories.